Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome, everyone, to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank DeYoung. Muskoka Drawdown is a, a function of Climate Action Muskoka. We are um, Climate Action Muskoka uh, CAM for short. We're community leaders uh, in the environmental area, and we lobby politicians. We we uh, try to encourage everyone to be you know responsible in an ecological way and to help out whenever we can. Make sure you check out our website, uh, Climate Action Muskoka. There's a lot of good stories on there. There's articles, interviews, book reviews. And uh, you should definitely take the Community Carbon Challenge if you haven't done so. We all know uh, the average Canadian, our, uh, our, the amount of carbon we emit every year on average is roughly 14 to 16 tons, whereas the average European, it's about seven, seven tons, and your average person in, in uh, India is about uh, one or two tons. So we've, us in uh, Muskoka have a long way to go, in Canada have a long way to go to get to carbon neutrality. I have with us today a very exciting guest, and it's Evan Ferrari from Emerge Guelph. He's a, a climate leader for many, many, for many years, and now he has a he's he's the executive director of Emerge Guelph, which is a, an organization to help people save money and save energy. And what could be wrong with that? So, with that, I'd like to uh, uh, bring Evan onto the show. Uh, Evan, give us a, a hello. Give us an hello. Hello there, Frank. Really, really happy to, to really happy to be here. Great. Um, we are all. Everyone who's sort of following this has been following um, COP twenty six, which um, which is the twenty sixth uh, United Nations Climate Change Awareness uh, Conference, and getting pledges from countries around the world. And a lot of people like Greta Thunberg and uh, are not enthused by what's going on there. And she calls it blah, 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 business as usual. And when you talk to Evan Ferrari, he might give us some uh, his thoughts on why this is the case and why we shouldn't. We're putting too much emphasis on what's happening at the international level. And perhaps it should be placed elsewhere. Evan. Yeah, absolutely, Frank. I, I, I found it frustrating, like an awful lot of people in the environmental movement did. Um, but I always try to find the glimmer of, dare I use the word hope, uh, within a very short period of time after, after you mentioned uh, Greta's name, because I know she, she questioned that one. But um, the, only, the only little glimmer of hope that I got out of COP was that um, it's no longer whether to do it. Uh, there, um, the the international leaders wound up chest beating to say that I'm doing a better job than you, and we're going to do it quicker than you. Did it really amount to much? Maybe not. But um, if there's one positive thing that I saw come out of it was that that um, 
it, it's it, it's starting to go down a, a path that I'm hoping is is irreversible. And that, but on the other end of that equation, that that we still have enough time to reverse the the uh, the catastrophic impacts of of climate change. Um, and the, the reason why we didn't put a lot of emphasis locally on, on paying attention to, to, to COP as an organization is that inevitably all of the successes in environment or social justice movements have never started at the national or international level. They started in communities like Huntsville, like Bracebridge, like Perry Sound, like Gravenhurst, like Guelph. Um, and, it's never a top-down thing. Needless to say, there, are, there are, inevitably there are leaders in certain positions that are the anomalies. That they are the leaders that are willing to, you know, to stick their well, neck out. That that's probably for sure true, um, Evan. But we still need support from the upper levels of government. Without them, we wouldn't have a carbon tax in Canada right now. Without them, we wouldn't have the kind of programs that we need for buying electric cars. What like the situation, the subsidy in British Columbia and, and Quebec? We need our municipal, our our provincial, and our federal politicians to work in concert with our municipal. I don't think we can put all the weight on on one level i don't think that's i think it's got to be a got to be a got to be a, a coalition of all these organizations i i i, I, agree, I agree completely but i want to show you a, a, or i want to chat briefly about a, a few examples of that everything from um the successes around acid rain to the three r's of waste management to the coal phase out generation in ontario increases in protected areas in Ontario, major water conservation efficiency, um, uh, and ultimately energy and climate change. Um, all of those movements have always started on an individual, sorry, on a, on a very small scale, and uh, eventually we're able to get enough movement to make the change. And, and you just mentioned to me, um, 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 before we went on air, you mentioned to me that, uh, you know, that um, uh, I believe it's Huntsville uh, declared a climate emergency. Um, all that stuff started in municipalities, and then it fed up to the to the to the to the, to the province it's a province in the federal government. I mean, needless to say, the, the provincial government isn't there yet. But what I like to remind people about is that some of the some of the biggest things that we've done have been with governments that we would never have expected. Um, climate change. That was the Mulroney government, and that was an agreement between Brian Mulroney and um, and of all people, Ronald Reagan. Uh, it was a massive. Uh, it was it was a, a massive change, but it happened because of local involvement of local well, work. I'm sure that's the case. Um, what remind me when did the ozone? Was that during the Mulroney era when um, that was during the, the Mulroney era as well? The Montreal Protocol. Yeah, as well. that's an example yeah. of the opposite. That was more of a top down thing. There was like was there yes. not three ozone like the Montreal Protocol three conferences? And I guess the reason there, it was basically just DuPont that was making the CFCs. So mm -hmm. they, the internationally, they put pressure on DuPont, which is a multinational, and that yes. basically got uh, solved that uh, the ozone layer problem. And now it's now the ozone layer is starting to recover, thankfully. But at the, on the other hand, there's at the COP level, the the United Nations level level, we need. Um, the richer countries to help the poorer countries. And that has to yes. happen at the international level, does it not? Yes. I, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more on, on, on exactly those points. Um, uh, but what I find in, uh, what I find is that people put so much effort on that, that, that sometimes they're ignoring what, what's, what should be happening locally on these things. 
um, that that by doing it locally, we're leading by example. Um, the coal phase out uh, un, uh, until of all people, Hurricane Hazel McCallion, the former mayor of Mississauga, <laughs> yes. she, she got on she got on board, and you don't stand in the way of if, if any of you remember her. I mean, she's she's almost a hundred years old now, or I think she just turned a hundred years old. I think she still skates. She goes skating on the hockey rink once a week. Um, but but uh, some municipal politicians got it because the local constituents really made their case very clear to them. And well, in, in and cases, on, yeah, and on on that point with coal, it was because of smog. And I was uh, I was uh, working in Toronto at the time, and yes. I knew full well everyone knew that one out of four children was uh, would develop asthma. The, the yeah. situation was getting ridiculous, so something had had to happen. And you know, but there's still only like uh, nationally, there's we're all members of the of, of the Canadian. We all support the Canadian government, the provincial government. Mm-hmm. So it, I just want to not get too parochial and say we all too much pressure, put too much pressure on the municipalities. We need to really work together and make sure our votes and our dollars count for provincially and federally as well. Um, uh, I, I agree on that piece. What what I like shining a microscope on is the biggest influence that we have on as citizens is with our municipal governments. They're the most accessible to us. Uh, they're people that we meet in the grocery store or the hockey rink or on the, the hiking trail or whatever that we're doing in the space of a uh, in the space of a day. Um, and it's where we can have the most influence. And uh, I, I I think Frank part of this is that. Most of the media that we see on politics tends to be provincial or federal because of the um, uh, just the saturation of provincial and, 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 uh, and national and for that sake, international media that the local stuff tends to be, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little more difficult for us to get uh, in, in, in smaller communities. And because of that, uh, I think a lot of people forget about the opportunity that's right in front of them. I know that um, that uh, that. Um, um, uh, the Muskoka Climate Action and you know all the great people that you're working with get it, but I think that the general public doesn't doesn't see that doesn't see that impact that expecting instead they're expecting something positive to come from on high. No, and, I, and, I actually agree. I'm basically playing the devil's advocate a little bit yeah. because whenever, as soon as people have a problem, uh, they can't even get through to their federal or provincial politician, but they yes. can get through to their, their municipal politician. And when you look at the jurisdictions, what the municipalities control is phenomenal. And then the provincial government controls an awful lot. And then the federal government, there's almost nothing left that the federal government does. So yeah. it's a it's a case of the, the, the tail wagging the dog uh, yeah. very much so. So it's critical that we get to know our municipalities or our municipal politicians and if, you know we can be on a first name basis with them mm-hmm. and um, that's the way you make change exactly yeah it, it's kind of hard for them to duck you when you bump, bump into them in in the in the produce section of the grocery store <laughs> exactly um <laughs> I wanted to, there's one slogan that came out. I just want to mention that before we go to break. And it's uh, CO2 emissions are an indication of inefficiency. I love that slogan that whenever someone says we need to have efficiency improvement improvements, what they mean now is it has to use less energy and less and less carbon and produce less carbon. So that's uh, let's talk about things like that in our next break. So uh, hang on everyone. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
by Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, before break, I mentioned to Evan, Evan Ferrari is our guest, and he's from Emerge Guelph. And I mentioned that uh, efficiency improvements these days mean less energy. And I suppose that's always been the case, but it's especially important now as we're facing as we're facing climate change problems, which are caused by by uh, by methane and, and CO two. So, uh, Evan, I understand Emerge Guelph has a has a mandate to save people money. How can that be? Well, I, we have a mandate to fight climate change, and one of the benefits that we see out of it is that people can save money and we can keep more dollars local. But on that on that efficiency piece, piece, I just want to tease into that uh, for a minute. And there's a stat that we've consistently seen from multiple sources that um, I think you'll find really interesting. Two thirds of all of the energy we consume, we waste in Canada. <laughs> That's shocking. That's totally it's, shocking. It's absolute shocking. And, and once you start doing the math on it, people say that can't be. And then you start going down that rabbit hole and go, oh, my God. I mean, let, let's let's use a gas uh, a, a gas car um, at best. It's 70, uh, sorry, at best, it's 25% efficient, but probably closer to only 25%. Well, I, I know I love efficient. that, uh, thinking about the automobile, because the, 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 most of it is wasted in heat and the mechanical uh, inefficiencies. But by the time the energy gets to the back wheel, you're looking at 25% of the original amount of energy that is used. Yes. And, and, and the reason that, that we focus on that piece is that one of the things that we got uh, our municipal council to agree to is that um, the corporation of the city of Guelph has committed to 100% renewable energy by 2050, which is a very different commitment than, uh, sorry, than, than a, a, net, a, a net zero carbon uh, by, uh, by, by 2050. Yeah. I'll, go into that. Can- I'll go into that later. But the, the 100% renewable piece can only happen if we attack the two thirds of waste. We can't do that by just sticking wind turbines and and uh, and solar panels on, on on an SUV and say we've done the job, because we haven't dealt with the the inefficiency um, uh, aspect of it. Um, and and uh, and unfortunately, efficiency and conservation is the boring, unsexy stuff that people say, yeah, 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 I'll stuff a bit of insulation in the house. And yeah, yeah, that, it, it really isn't given the attention that it needs. Um, yes. and, and, and we wrestle with trying to get people's attention. So I mentioned, and, and you know, Frank, more than anyone, how inefficient cars are. With our existing housing stock, we need to reduce the amount of energy that we consume in them by at least 60 and upwards of 70%. And that's for all purposes. And, and I, I mean, that's a mind boggling task. Do you think a little bit, Evan, that you're um, um, cutting off your nose to spite your face a little bit by saying we need to have 100% renewable energy by 2050 as opposed to net zero? Is that not effectively the same thing? Well, what what made us, we wrestled with this for some time. um, And we originally started our campaign back in 2018 on this one. And uh, the reason that we were reluctant to go down the path of looking at the net zero carbon piece is that you know, with enough money, we could buy a whole whack of Costa Rica and say we're net zero today. <laughs> That's true. Yes, uh, and, and, so yeah. that creative that creative math and accounting <laughs> comes into it. And we thought, 
okay, what's a higher standard? And, and surprisingly, when we were having that discussion, the people that really didn't want to see it happen didn't understand exactly the, the rationale behind we went, why we went down that path. So, uh, so what's, what's this meant? That, you know, the municipality is, obviously, they look at the you know uh, th- that they're reporting on a yearly basis on how they're doing on that on that net zero piece, mm-hmm. but we have two targets in Guelph. One is for the corporation of the city that agreed that they needed to hold themselves to 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 um, higher accountability. Thus, they have the hundred percent renewable. The larger community is a net zero carbon um, uh, target that uh, we we're we're less oh, okay. uh, we're less comfortable with. The second piece, and, and this, this I know is even controversial in some environmental um, circles, the second piece with talking about 100% renewable energy, one is we, we take off that, you know, are people fiddling about with, with, the, um, with the accounting side. The second piece is it takes nuclear completely off the table. Um, and we don't even want to go down that discussion. Uh, um, <laughs> that would take several shows on that one. I agree. It with would you be that remarkable, uh, but there's a there's green. a huge there's a huge economic argument to be made against nuclear right now. It is way too costly, and there and and, oh, and you you know the numbers better know better than most. Well, but on the other hand, everyone says, well, nuclear, yes, okay. Well, they used to talk about gas as a transition uh, yes. energy source, energy source, and now people are saying, well, we have to get off gas, and and that's yep. that's a good step. But people are still not calling pointing the finger at nuclear, with the exception of a few activists like Clean Air Alliance. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, 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 uh, all that to say that I, I didn't want to, we didn't want to take over this discussion to talk about <laughs> nuclear. But our intention was we didn't want to have that conversation. So they've debri- they've already agreed it's 100% renewable. Yeah. Um, and our next step within the coming years is we want to move them towards um, uh, towards that for the entire city. All right. Now let's let's get down to some real hard concrete examples. My thinking, as always, for many, many years is that we need European style walkable communities linked by transit with bicycle paths and walking trails. And and so we don't we can get away from the car culture altogether. And we need to bring goods to people and not people to goods like we do with our with our with our with our what do they call them? Land yachts or trucks. (laughs) You know, Muskoka, of course, we're all uh, F-150s and and Silverados. So we've got a long way to go but i hear uh, the the pickup truck people are warming very quickly to electric pickup trucks not mm-hmm. and i would like to see communities where no one needs to have a vehicle where we can we can walk and it'll be safe and quiet and and we don't have to spend 40% of our land use on uh, infrastructure for for automobiles i i i, I vehemently agree with you <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and- and let me let me let me give you give you a thumbnail of our approach to it is that we we take a, a hierarchical approach to transportation and transportation planning and the work that we do. Um, at the top of that hierarchy is active transport. Sorry, let me let me preface all of this by saying is that we also we we need to always be integrating planning around ex- uh, accessibility issues for those that have mobility um, mo- mobility concerns. Um, uh, so that, that, that's, that's a course. given throughout, throughout all of these. So the first, the first one is active transportation, and that's either being a pedestrian or, um, or, 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 or using a bicycle. Needs to come front and center. And if you're putting that front and center in planning, it's building the kind of cities exactly that you're talking about. And then from there, we go to an electrified public transit system and then finally to a, an electrified uh, a private vehicle um, system. Um, and however, 
there's a big however on this, Frank. So um, uh, um, we do do some things on the active transportation piece, but unfortunately, you, you, you touched on a couple of things. One was the F, F-150. We've done the analysis of, of, of new car sales in Guelph. And I, I always take a deep breath when I say this, but Guelph, and I'm assuming um, uh, the, the Muskokas are very similar. 60% of all new vehicle sales are pickup trucks, vans, and SUVs. So they essentially are consuming fuel at way more levels than we need to. So in spite of the fact that we take that hierarchical approach, there are 8,000 new vehicle sales in Guelph every year. We have a community of 135,000 people, and there are 8,000 new vehicles. So our attitude is, we hate the fact that, just like you, that there are any any private vehicles (laughs) out there. But the reality is they're there in, the, in what I'm hoping oh, is going to be the short term. Well, you so, know that um, Norway is already uh, on, in April. They will be they've already um, um, stopped selling new ICE vehicles. Have you? It's, it's know, fantastic. Yes. So so what we focused on is we've had events, um, electric vehicle events. And what we do is we try to get the dealers involved. There's only one local dealer that's somewhat progressive in this field. The other ones really see it as a nuisance or a problem for their business model. But what we do is we bring together um, upwards of 30 uh, electric vehicle owners and this one local dealer or a couple of other dealers occasionally. We've had up to 8,000 people come up to these electric vehicle events. And um, we partner with an organization out of Toronto called Plug and Drive. And their mandate is to uh, get a higher percentage or market share of EVs on the market for all the reasons, all the reasons that we know. Mm-hmm. So what we've done in partnering with them is they provide EV 101 classes, um, electric vehicle 101 classes for people because someone interested, you know, even if they're just EV, uh, EV curious, um, uh, have a lot of questions about it. Sure do. We're trying to break down the barriers and there are about 20 issues that people, that people throw at you why they don't go down that path. It's not our first choice to put our effort there, but the reality when we looked at the math said, you want to cut like three or four tons off of your household uh, carbon, uh, uh, um, uh, carbon emissions uh, in one purchase decision? Yes, that's it. I, very, that's very good, um, Evan. I'm afraid we're about out of time. Um, I think I could talk to you for hours and hours about this, and we'll have to have you on again in the future uh, to hear more about your idea of what Guelph's doing. I, I think of the 15-minute city that they're talking about for some of the European cities, the donut economy where where people can operate uh, their daily lives by walking and have everything available. There's a lot of ideas coming out there that are going to really help us get to uh, to either 100% renewable energy or at least a net zero uh, throughout our society. Anyway, Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, any last words? Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm excited to see that the, that, um, that the Muskoka area is working on some interesting stuff around community energy planning. It's very exciting to see. And we certainly are. Well, that's the end of um, Muskoka Drawdown this week. And visit the Climate Action Muskoka website and catch up on everything that's going on. And remember to uh, live simply so that others can simply live. I went to the city when all the trees were gone. And I laid there on an asphalt lawn. days of hurricanes and floods her face ran with tears and the streets
ran with blood Fur coats and sushi boats and diesel Yeah.